my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Welcome to the Black Girls Heal podcast, where we talk about healing our intimacy disorders, unresolved trauma, and building a healthy relationship with first ourselves and then others. Every episode, we will talk about advice you can apply today to break unhealthy patterns and grow in your self-worth. I'm Sheena Lachey, love addiction coach and trauma specialist. Let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Black Girls Heal. So I'm recording this in the early morning, so I'm not sure if my voice is going to sound like it always does or if it's going to be a little bit of a lower lower uh, tonal voice (laughs) or moving slow, but I'm recording today's episode the day after the betrayal trauma episode dropped because I have heard that while the episode really put into words what many of you have been feeling that episode even though I mentioned that I was it was prompted from my recent conversations with someone about what I with y'all about how I support y'all here I that topic had been requested for a few years and and so I'm happy that sharing it put into words and validated what many of you have gone through but also from what I hear from my friends um, who sent me text messages saying that episode was so powerful. And and I'm also now just thinking about like what happened and like I'm mad and, you know, all of the things that come up with that. Here's my emotional aftercare for y'all. So my intention for today's episode is if you are someone who listened to the Betrayal Trauma podcast episode already, and it is part of your story, and it brought up some feelings for you that you're working through right now, my hope is that this episode helps with that. And if you're like, Betrayal Trauma episode, what's that? I'm behind on episodes, or I just found this podcast, or I was looking for Betrayal Trauma, and I clicked on this one instead of the other one first. Know that this is going to be a resource for you. That episode was about how to deal with the PTSD of what happens when you're with a partner who has a sex addiction or a porn addiction. And I talked about kind of the ups and downs of it. I talked about what it looks like. I talk about the gaslighting. I talk about um, feeling so ashamed and feeling really foolish and then feeling angry about it and then being at this crux about deciding what you want to do. And I also talked about what I saw in the therapy office when I was practicing therapy and how important it is for betrayed partners to focus on themselves and not focus on becoming parole officers for their partners, but to hold the standard for their partners to reach the bar versus them lowering the standard to try to make it easier for them. So if any of that sounds interesting for you to hear and you haven't heard that episode, go ahead and check it out. But again, if you, if you have heard that episode and you are feeling some things, this is for you. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. 
Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. Okay, so ideally, you are hearing this episode right after or right before the previous one. And so if that's the case, I want you to go ahead and just breathe. And I really do mean breathe with me. Breathe in, hold it, two, three, exhale, two, three. Again, inhale, two, three, and exhale, two, three. And those of you who are just looking at the phone and not doing it and just thinking about it and saying, I'm not doing that and staying all stuck and tense in your body this time, breathe with me, inhale, two, three, and exhale, two, three. Anytime you are feeling triggered and anytime you're feeling upset, I need you to remember your breath. Remember your breath. Your breath is healing. Your breath will get your brain out of level 10 explosion back down into your body at a seven, which is so good when you feel like you cannot function. Okay? So breathe in from the top of your head down to your toes. And go ahead and repeat that for as long as you need to. Until you feel a place of calm, either before you continue the episode or while you listen to the rest of this. Okay, so you get to take breaks. I want you to know someone messaged me and I didn't get a chance to respond. It was late at night. Um, and I'm sure someone from the team is going to respond because I just saw the DM as I was just clicking through. And they said uh, that they related to the podcast but it was just so hard for them to get through and they had to take pauses and breaks. And I'm like, yeah, great. You do not have to listen or engage into anything anywhere, uh, especially a, uh, a free podcast, unless you are ready and want to, until you, unless you feel like you have the emotional space for it. I've, been, I've talked many a times about how grief even with everything that I do and everything that I'm trained in, the topic of grief, if I hear anybody talk about grief, if I have a TikTok that comes across my page, if someone who I really like and follow is like, yeah, I'm going through this period of grief, your girl swipes. I don't, I don't want to hear anything about grief. Grief is still very triggering for me. Uh, with the passing of my mom, what, gosh, how... Oh my gosh, is it 10 years now? Lord, 10 years. And I'm still like, I don't want to touch it. Whenever I, when I was still practicing as a therapist, if someone said that they came in primarily for grief, not that grief was one of the many things that we talked about, but it was the thing they wanted to focus on all the time, I needed to send them to somebody else. So if this topic is something that is so related to you, but you hearing about it, is too much right now or too much period, then you do not have to listen to this or anything else. Practice taking care of yourself and practice doing what's right for you. And with that said, you know, my friends were also like, man, I these 
here are a couple things that my friends said because um, a few of them have gone through this with partners who perpetually cheated on them, whether or not this person was a sex addict or someone who uh, had multiple other ways that they were unavailable and cheating was one of them, which I wasn't clear with in the first. There were so many things like y'all saw the episode was over, over an hour. There were so many things that I didn't get to say that I'm going to try to weave in here um, as long as it applies to being emotionally supportive to y'all. But then there's other things too. But to be clear, someone, a sex worker does not equal sex addict. People who have high sex drives do not equal sex addicts. We're talking about people who, when I, when I talk about the term of, when I talk, when I use the term addiction, I'm talking about whatever their substance or drug of choice is, whether or not it's a behavior or action or a, uh, a thing that they ingest or imbibe. I'm talking about using that to the point of excess or something that could be good and innocuous becomes devastating and destructive. So whether or not that thing is sex or food or working or exercise or shopping or gambling, using something that is a neutral thing that most people can use for pleasure, but you're using it to feel relief, to, to cope with triggers and trauma and distress, that you become that you build an intimate relationship with it, where it becomes the thing that you go to and the thing that is your source of support and security. And you keep hold of that and you keep engaging in it even when your life is crumbling around you, right? And so you can have, be someone who has a high sex drive. You can be someone who has a high body count and that does not equal sex addiction. What we're looking at is the process around it. You know, when I was in the height of my sex and love addiction, my drug of choice was porn for the longest period of time. You know, I was a later bloomer for a long period of my time. I was very religious and me and porn had a really deep thing going on and it put me in some dangerous positions and I needed to get some support with that to help me with that. And so, um, I just want to make that clear. Anybody, anybody that presents any type of way can be hit by any type of compulsive uh, addictive process if they are not being in touch with their emotions and being honest about what they need and getting support for when and where they're triggered and when and where they feel hurt or harmed. And so with all that said, if listening to this, my friends were like, Man, I need these are some things that I didn't even tell my therapist. I was trying to deal with it on my own because of all the shame that you were talking about, Sheena, and people judging you and um either having friends that were like, Well, don't take that, you know, city girls up or uh, why are you still with them? Like I could never, you know, and so they just and they wanted to protect the image and so many so much of what we learn as women. I can't tell y'all, I hear this story so much. I, I don't know. I don't know if we're all, I, I can't even list all of the sources between media and I think culturally and I think what we're socialized to do as women and also just who we are as women wanting to be like we're built to be great partners and great lovers and great caregivers. Uh, even this is whether or not you have children or not. It's just we are especially skilled. Our brains are especially attuned to be able to look at any situation and be able to 
see the nuances and to respond and to show up and to be able to navigate it. And in our ability to do that, we can unknowingly, if we have that codependency within us, we can unknowingly become the people who will self-abandon in order to make way and support and heal and love on the people in front of us. And and that can produce a lot of shame when you look back in hindsight and see how much of yourself you lost and how much you kept it hidden. So if you feel the need to go back to your therapist and fill in some details that you held from him, her, or them and tell them the whole truth or if you're still, if you're currently going through it and you haven't told them what's going on, then that might be a, a time to do so. Also remember, as I've said before, if you're going to any type of healing practitioner, coach, or whoever who shames you for what you're going through and starts to get very irritated that you have not ended this or changed this, and they're like, girl, we've talked about this, and they start to do this tough love approach, and it doesn't make it doesn't actually help you feel better because maybe you want that. I personally believe that that is already the voice that you have in your head. And so having someone outside of you tell you how you're not cutting it, even if it momentarily gets you to end the relationship, is not going to help you feel any better, and which is only going to make you more susceptible to either using other things to cope, returning back to that relationship later, or something similar. Because the inside of you does not feel empowered. It doesn't feel seen. It doesn't feel valued. It doesn't feel heard. So go to your therapist, find a safe space, a person to talk to through this because the emotions and the feelings that you have around it is real. So there are a list of things that I want to share. So let me, let me say this one first. One of the things that I teach in my recovery school program is the concept of carried shame, which is a concept that comes from Pia Melody. Uh, who is one of the people who talks about love addiction. She has a very famous book called Facing Love Addiction. And so for her practitioners, one of the things that she teaches is the concept of carry shame. And there could be other people who talk about it. She's the first person that I've heard talk about it. So I will credit her unless I hear otherwise. But yeah, I talk about it with my coaching students in the program, right? When we are starting to do the process of unlearning, because I think this is Really important to know, so I'm going to share this here for y'all today. So the concept of carry shame is, I want us to understand how emotions are very tangible and energy is tangible. So if you were to walk into a room where people were arguing before you walked in, you could feel the tension in the room even though nobody's saying anything. Emotions and energy are tangible. And so when we look at the idea of carried shame, we look at if we have people around us who are not owning their emotions, that those emotions are all out there in the atmosphere. And for those who are very susceptible with their boundaries, you will take that energy in. So if I have someone who is acting shamelessly, either through rage or through acting out on their addiction or, you know, blame shifting all their stuff, and I'm someone who's more aware and more sensitive, I'm going to pick up their shame and hold it as my own when it doesn't belong to me. 
So, you know, some of the things that I've taught my students and that my friends were also talking about was how, you know, they really needed to let go of this shame that they were holding because it's not theirs. So, in other words, if you have a partner who is cheating on you or using substances or hiding porn from you or stealing money from you, whatever their addictive or destructive process of choice is, and you're holding on to that shame as if you've done something wrong, that is not your shame. That is their shame. They were they were or are acting shamelessly and so you are becoming shameful. Does that make sense? I wish I, I wish I was in front of y'all so I could draw you a picture and just do the little arrows and show that as they drop the shame, you're picking it up. So their indiscretions, their inability to cope, their inability to move forward has nothing to do with whether or not you are um, kind enough or sexy enough or open-minded enough or patient enough or good enough or holy enough. They have, again, like I was saying in the other episode, they have their own process and their own demons that they have to face that existed long before you. And they're going to exist long after you until they decide to work on it. And there's no amount of intimidation or bribing or guilting or pressuring that's going to make them move forward because they most likely have their own, those same demons in their own head. They're, they're working, or those same critical voices is what I want to say. They have their own pain that they need to figure out when they are at their bottom. And what you think the bottom is, you think the bottom is losing your partner, losing your family, going bankrupt, almost dying, depending on what is currently happening in their life. And what anyone who has struggled with addiction will tell you is that those things can happen over and over again, but they have to get to a place when they are ready to do this very painful process of recovery. So the best thing that you can focus on is yourself and to not carry shame that doesn't belong to you, to not pick up that mantle. With that said, there are still other emotions that come up that do belong to you. So the anger that comes up, the rage that comes up, especially if You know, one of my girlfriends that I was texting with, she had left this relationship with this person years ago. You know, she had been in serious relationships since then, you know, done a whole lot of healing work and listening to the podcast episode yesterday and putting words to the PTSD that she went went through during that time, re-brought up. I don't know if it actually re-brought up or it allowed her to get angry about some things. She didn't let herself get angry about the first time. Because she just wanted to get through it and get over it and move on. And I, what I've noticed with the women I work with is people in general. But, you know, I'm always going to go through the women I work with because that's the experience that I have. What I notice with the women, people I work with is if, if they come to me very much in control of their perception and very much in control of how they show up in the world. And they come to me with some awareness that, you know, they don't like this and it makes them upset and they, you know, feel sad sometimes. But, you know, I'm coming here to become a better person. And, you know, like, 
for the most part, I have a good life, but these, these are some things that I don't really like. And then we start talking about what actually has been attributing or contributing to all the reasons why these things are happening. They are very, very resistant to that anger that comes out because it feels wrong. For to feel angry about this when I've maybe already talked about this with a therapist before, when I've already gone through my forgiveness process, I wrote the letter, I left it at the altar, I lifted some balloons, I burned it. You know, I've already gone through my grief rituals. Why am I? I this anger can't be right is what they feel. And in dialectical behavior therapy, which is one of the models I was trained in, they have a skill to help people who experience very intense emotions or really repress their emotions to to know, kind of have like a rubric to know if the emotions that you're feeling makes sense. So while we all know that you can and, and it should, I'm going to use the should word, I know how I feel about the word should, but, you, but I'll use it here. You can and should feel your emotions without shame. Sometimes after we process our emotions, we can realize that either these emotions, while real, may be a projection about something or they may not fit the facts. If I get very angry about someone stepping on my toe, is that anger perhaps misplaced? Is that anger actually about something deeper? Is there another set of emotions that I can learn to to feel into versus rage for every indiscretion, large and small? So in this rubric, it's called um, Does It Fit the Facts? So with anger, according to dialectical behavior therapy, anger fits the facts when there's an important goal that you have that's being blocked by someone or something. If you or someone you know is attacked or hurt, or if you or someone you know is being insulted or threatened. And so when you look back at the things that have happened or things that are currently happening, are you being attacked? Were you insulted? Were you hurt? Were you threatened at all? And in the case of being a partner of someone who has sex addiction or porn addiction, absolutely, those are things that were happening. You were emotionally and mentally being attacked and hurt and betrayed and insulted. And what I find is every person that I work with, that inner child work is, even if they've already done this healing work before in other places, it always opens another door for them because they realize how much deeper in their self-compassion and self-love they need to get to. They need to get to. And as that as that inner self becomes more seen, you start to get more angry for her. You start to look at all the things that she went through, all the things she had to be quiet through, all the things that she had to to just take and grin and bear it or make the most of it because she knew that her mom wouldn't care about what she was actually feeling or her dad didn't care or they would make fun of her or they would use it against her or her partner was too lost in their own dysfunction to even show up and be empathetic. And if they were empathetic, they 
didn't have any change to go along with it. So she had to learn how to to deal. And so this stuff coming back up with you with more wisdom now and you with more access to yourself and you hearing somebody say, no, that shit mattered. It does make you angry again. Or maybe better said, it makes you, it gives you the right to be angry for the first time. Yeah, you felt all the other emotions. Yeah, you grieved it. Yeah, you moved on. You might have even remarried or you're in a better relationship with the most amazing person ever. And you're like, why the fuck does this make me so angry still? Like if I actually moved on, if I actually, whatever, I wouldn't feel this way. No, girl, the fact that you feel something is awesome because you shouldn't have ever had that type of injustice in the first place. You know, when I see other people who've gone, who've gone through heartbreak and turmoil, when I see and hear about little girls, little eight-year-old little girls or 14-year-old girls or 16-year-old little girls, and yeah, I said little girls, when I, when I see these, these innocent souls go through the trauma that they go through in their household, everything in me gets enraged. Because why? Because it fits the facts. Because they're being attacked, they're being neglected, they're being hurt when they deserve so much more. And I see these three-year-old girls, I see these four-year-old girls, I see these eight-year-old girls, girls, I see these 12-year-old girls in the bodies and then behind the eyes and in the soul of these 30, 40, 50-year-old professional women in front of me who are y'all, I'm not trying to get emotional on this morning, who are trying their best to be their best selves, to give the love that they so desperately want and desire and deserve as well. And so it breaks my heart every time I hear their stories of how how much they were cheated from what they deserved, you know? So if I feel that as someone who's listening to you and holding space for you, it didn't even happen to me. You even more so deserve to feel that same, same amount of righteous anger for yourself because you didn't deserve to go through that. You just didn't. So allow yourself to feel whatever feelings you need to feel before you're, you start trying to set a timer and saying, okay, well, uh, even Sheena, Sheena told me that I could feel it, but all right, that's enough for today. Time to go back to reality. No, you feel it as long as you need to feel it. And I think sometimes we're afraid of emotions because they feel so out of control. And again, if you're someone who's into having that type of control and like systems and, you know, being logical and A plus B equals C and well I don't really have time for emotions because I have all these things that are going on right now you know this is not the right time for me to feel this feel this it's never going to be the right time and the reason why it's not the right time now is because you don't know how to manage your emotions you either have to turn your emotions on or turn them off and that's affecting your body it's affecting your your mental health it's affecting your emotional health and it's affecting your ability to 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 feel at ease because you feel like you have to compartmentalize yourself instead of realizing that your heart, your, your, your feelings, your soul is all yours and you deserve and need to be in touch with that at any time. 
and to not be afraid of it and to not feel as if it's going to overwhelm and consume you. Because the thing about emotions is as long as you're feeling them, the emotions come up, but then they also go back down. They're like waves. This giant wave will come up and you feel it and you sit in it and you feel it. And then once you feel it, it's out, you know, uh, compartmentalizing your emotions and putting them in these little boxes. Some of us have these big-ass closets filled with all these nice little presents that are nicely wrapped and so pretty, and they're all filled with all the emotions that we have not allowed ourselves to feel. And so uh, it's only only getting bigger, y'all. So the best part is to start to feel them as they come and let that process happen. Uh, A few other things that I wanted to share that I didn't share yesterday or I don't think I shared clearly is if you're the person who is who has been cheated on as part of the healing process for y'all as a couple. And I think other adultery, adultery or infidelity experts and, you know, books and all things can talk about this. But you part of that process is you asking all the questions, even after they start their healing process, them you, them being you, <laughs> uh, asking multiple questions about certain things until you are able to learn how to build trust. And I'm saying this not only just for the person who's a partner, but also if I have any addicts in recovery who are with partners and you have, you're doing your restitution, you have made your amends, you're trying to, to, to show up better as a partner and it's getting very heavy for you. And it's, not because you don't want to be available for your partner, but the constant questions and accusations and everything after that is is feeling is feeling nitpicky for you. Well, you have to understand that this is what PTSD does. And while you have been able to work through this and get to this certain place for your partner, it's still very real. You know, you've had whatever amount of time you've had to have conversations with yourself about your indiscretions, about what that means for you as a person. You've known the whole truth this whole time and your partner has not. So he, she, or them needs and deserves the time to catch up, to move to a place where they can be trust again. And if she, he, or them is someone who tried to be chill at first, and now they're bringing it up years later and you're like, I thought we already worked through this. What that means is she, he, or them got to a place where they stopped acting in codependency and stopped acting in self-abandonment and they started to actually be honest about how this has hurt them and now they need to process it. So you have to decide, is this a partner that I actually want to do this? We hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. As our country continues to grow and make new meaning of the intersection between current and historical events, it is so important to stay connected to the voices and the leaders who are influencing what progress, connection, equality, and truth mean to us as Black people. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. 
Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection from some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here, a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. When healing from an intimacy disorder, one of the first things you have to do right after getting clear on your patterns of addictive behaviors, avoiding behaviors, and living in deprivation is clearing out the roots that caused it, clearing out the experiences, the traumas, the narratives that have kept you stuck all of these years. In my signature coaching program, The Recovery School, you have the opportunity to reveal the sources of low self-worth, to learn about how old roles in your family have resulted in codependency, shutting down, and not letting others in, and also to learn how to talk to and connect to your inner child in a way that is soothing and healing. This is the next step to reframing the old stories that have plagued you for years to evolve to being a healed and loved woman and having access to the love and the relationships and self-worth that you've always wanted. Learn more and get started by going to therecoveryschool.com. Again, that is therecoveryschool.com. It's for knowing that that this is what this is what's going to be needed. And you're the one who has to be, you're the one who has to decide that. Ladies, I am so excited to share that for this podcast episode, I've partnered with eHarmony, the dating app that helps people find real genuine connection. And for me, this app has absolutely held true to their promise, connecting me to a truly incredible relationship and partnership with someone who truly gets me. Dating apps can be so hard when it comes to filtering through persons who you may not have anything in common with or who may not be super serious about the process and committed. With eHarmony's one-of-a-kind compatibility quiz, you get a baseline standard in every match of your compatibility around values, communication styles, likes and dislikes, energy levels, and so much more. My experience with eHarmony has always been superb with not only the quality of men I was matched with, but also with our compatibility when dating, eliminating the stress of feeling as if I was wasting my time. So join the dating app that helps users find their most authentic relationships. eHarmony, get who gets you and start free today. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. Something else I didn't share in the previous episode that I'm going to share here, and I can't think of how to buffer it, so I'm just going to say it, and hopefully it comes out in the right way. Something that I didn't say that I wish I would have said is, it may sound contradictory, or actually maybe not, your partner who is addicted to whatever it is that they're addicted to. Of course, I focus on sex and porn, uh, but there are many people who are dealing with this type of betrayal trauma for things that are not those two things. 
uh, because there is a third person in their relationship and that person may not even be a real life person. It could be alcohol. It could be drugs. It could be gambling. It could be work. It could be um, overspending or over um, debting or hoarding. You know, there there are many ways that we can feel crowded out in our partnerships if we have a partner that is addicted to a certain thing or substance for their own coping and healing. But what I want to say with that is that your partner, your addicted partner can be be fully in love with you and I'm going to say committed to you even though this sounds like an oxymoron given the topic. Your your addicted partner can be fully in love with you and fully committed to you and also in the throes of addiction. It's, it's really sad, uh, I think on all sides. I think everybody loses when, when statements like, you have to love your family enough, like you must not love them enough, like you must love the drugs more, you must love this poor more, you must love whatever more. Uh, if you loved us enough, if you need, if you actually loved us enough, you would stop because people, we don't get the nuance of how addictions change your brain chemistry and also how deeply, and I feel like intertwined isn't even a strong enough word, but how deeply integrated the addiction or the substance is with that person being able being able to function and being able to cope with their everyday life. So when it gets to that point, it's not about willpower. It is often a physical, not even just it's not just a mental. It is a mental and emotional and a physical detoxing that this painful physical detoxing I'm talking about. Panic attacks, I'm talking about inability to eat. I'm talking about being in fetal position, crying on the floor, shaking. What happens when people are detaching from this addiction because of what it exposes, because it exposes all the abuse that happened, all of the shame that they've held, all of the things that they've been told, all of the shit that they put you through, the person that they love. And And this stuff is heavy, y'all. So why do I say this? I say this not only to humanize uh, those who are addicted, not only because I know that there are people who are listening to this podcast who are in the throes of their addiction right now or who have been in recovery for their addiction. And um, I hate that I did not put that in the first episode. If y'all listened already, I was just trying to get so much out in one place but also because you as the loved one, what makes it really hard for you to do boundaries sometimes is because of the love that you have for this person. And sometimes the way that you, the only way that you know how to make yourself be strong is to villainize them and to demonize them. And like, they're the devil and I hate them, but that doesn't last because you do love them. And so I want you to know that those two things can be true. That you can have someone who fully loves you, but because of their addiction, they cannot love you the way that you need to be loved. And so this isn't like, 
I have to trade this out. Like, you know, because when when you are trying to set boundaries after being hurt for so many things, and then that person does a bid that shows love towards you, all of your resolve goes away. All the things that you were, were going to do and, you know, you're going to kick them out or you're going to do this or you're going to freeze them out or you're going to stop talking to them. Once they do something really sweet and something really loving and you see your partner and you see the love in, your, in their eyes, you're like, okay, it can't be that bad. And I want you to know that your partner can be loving, looking at you with a genuine, genuine warmth and giving everything that they know how. And until they work through that addiction, that addiction will be there. So what does that mean for you? One thing one of my other girlfriends was saying, and I was talking about all this, with an ex that she was previously with, she was like, you know, I, I'm realizing I still love her, but I, I have to let her go. I have to let her go. They, they haven't been in contact, but that part of her that part of longing for her in her mind, she had to let that go because I'm going to butcher how she said it, but I'm going to try to do it as best as I can to make the point I want to make right here. But I have been self, there was part of me that was abandoning myself to make it a safe space for her to go through her process, but that didn't really help her and was only hurting me to forget and neglect myself because I didn't want to make it more stressful for her. That's absolutely not how she said it. But so, but I'm saying that here for y'all because that self-abandonment is real. In your desire to be a good partner, a good lover, a good mother, a good sister, a good cousin, for a good friend, for whoever's in your life, it can be so easy to downplay your needs to make space for them because you haven't realized that your life and your needs are just as important as the other person's. I need to say that again because I know many of you heard me, but you didn't hear me. What you need to feel safe, what you need to feel loved, what you need to feel secure is just as important, just as important as what the other person needs, wants, desires as well. Whether or not they are homeless, whether or not they are working through whatever they're working through, no matter if they just lost their job, if they've just had another heartbreak, if everybody in their life has abandoned them and, you know, they were, they are so grateful for you and thank you for being here for me. And no one by now, other people would have left me. And so I'm just so, you know, I, I can never repay you enough for everything you've given me. No matter how much they tell you that, do not let the appreciation that you deserve, period, they should be grateful. I mean, what else would they be to have someone like you in their life? That is, you know, that's not even a bare minimum. That's like, duh, of course you're grateful. That's not an extra gift. What, that's not an extra gift that you have to repay by saying, oh, well, they're grateful. So let me continue to be that safe space for them. No, you deserve and you need, you need not only, not only that you deserve, you need 
a safe place to be, land, exist, cry, show up, and just be taken care of. You deserve to be taken care of, love. So if that person is not able to give that to you, then then it is what it is. And what that looks like for you and how you navigate that is different. You know, there are some people who are team, I'm going to cut it, cut you completely off. And when you get your stuff together, then I'm here and I'm available. There are some people who need to figure out what a middle ground with that is, whether or not it's a sick and ailing parent who is an addict or, you know, there's so many other uh, variations of that, but they need to find something in the middle. And then there are some people who are like, well, I'm going to have this in mind, but I'm going to stay in relationship with them. I, I don't want to leave. I don't want this to keep happening, but I don't want to leave. And so I'm just going to remember these things that I've heard. I'm going to think about what my therapist has told me, and I'm going to think about what I saw on that YouTube channel, but I'm going to stay. And what I'm going to say is that you're the one who's living this life, so you have to make sure you're doing something that works for you, but you need to do it in honesty, self-honesty, and self-integrity. If you're staying or trying to compromise, or even if you're cutting someone off, but it's based in fear, it's based in fear, it's based in lack, it's based in um, not having, feeling not enough or feeling like you can never have someone else or this person is all I have and I don't really know what else I would do or I've given so many years to this relationship. You, On the list of reasons why you should stay in a relationship, the fact that you put in so much time should never, ever, ever be one of the reasons that you stay, ever. The reasons that you stay in a relationship is because we actually grow together. Because not only do I make their life better, they make my life life better. Because they mirror me. Because we have a shared goal and purpose. A reason to stay in a relationship is not because you got time served. Or because you're oblig- obligated or this person needs you to live. Y'all have heard me say it again, jokingly, but I'm serious. You are not a caseworker. You're not a caseworker. You're not a therapist. And if you are, you for damn sure should not be one for the people at home. You're off the clock, girl. You are off the clock. Being a partner, being a friend, being a lover, being a listening ear, you can be that. But you're not a rehabilitation center. And if that's what they need, they need to be willing and have the personal desire to go and do that for themselves because of what I've said this episode, last episode about how hard this work is. This is long-term recovery work. This is long-term work that they are going to have to do. And then once they get to a place of stability, it is also just the the learning of, you know, being a healthy human being just in general. You know, think about those of us who aren't addicts and all the stuff we're constantly uncovering all the time. Like, damn, like, can I get a break? Like, can I get to a place where I feel fully good about all things where there's not always a lesson around the corner, you know? 
And then so just add addiction and, and trauma and the ways that you've lit your life or the lives of other people on fire before you and you having to deal with the shame and the regret about that or the the loves that you may have felt like you've lost before, the, the moments in time that you've lost or the money you've lost or the jobs you've lost because of what you're dealing with. You know, it's it's so much. And here's the last set of things. I really, I really hope, oh my gosh, if, if there's nothing else that y'all have heard, I really hope that the women who need this are listening through this point right here. Something that goes along with this shame of the carried shame of what has happened or what is currently happening and that that part of like feeling foolish about it is dealing with the remnants of what happens in these types of addictive behaviors you as a part for you as a partner and I mean physical remnants not just emotional remnants so let's talk about those of us who have been with partners who have been unfaithful uh, with actual people and or maybe not people, but that's a story for a different day. And so we've contracted STDs and we've contracted STDs that were not curable or that are now chronic, whether it's HPV, whether it's herpes, whether it's HIV, and even the ones who, you know, you can go and, and get some medication for it. But let's talk about what it's like for you when the impact of your partner has now affected you permanently, which is also a reason why many people don't want to leave these partners because they feel like they're ruined. They feel like they're tarnished. You feel like um, no one's ever going to want you because of what you're going through. And uh, someone had messaged me, but I, they might have messaged me on Facebook that, but they had asked for, can we do, can I do a, a podcast about living with HPV? And in my head, I'm like, girl, I'm way ahead of you. There's someone who I really want on want to have on a podcast that talks about living with herpes because of this internalized shame and self-rejection that so many people go through. Let's let's go ahead and talk about numbers real quick because I think that's important for what I'm gonna say after this. Herpes, one in six people in this world have herpes. With all the jokes and all the stuff that people talk about, you can go into your office building, you can go into your local grocery store, you can go into the mall and count off one, two, three, six, you. Um, I, I missed some numbers there. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, you. One, two, three, four, five, six, you. Right? So with all of like the stigma and everything that people say and all the jokes that people say, the same people who are making the jokes are most likely the ones who got it themselves, whether they know it or not. And they're spreading this thing around. Um, so you're not alone. You are not an anomaly. You're not broken. And you're not ineffective or defective as a potential lover for somebody else. Because I was talking to my colleague the other day about this too. She was like, yeah, everybody's got herpes. Like that that was her her joking way of affirming what we were talking about. And so even though I'm saying that, I'm trying to give you that stat, it, it doesn't necessarily hit on the emotions that come with it. 
And so what I want you to do, if you haven't already been doing this already, instead of going inward and becoming closed off and making a judgment and a story, making a decision about your life, deciding, well, that's it. I guess I'm never going to be able to find love again. And this person is the best I could ever get. And if you don't find them anymore, or if, if it doesn't work out now, because you feel defective, you automatically start taking people in situations that are less than what you want because you have this fear that the person in the relationship I actually want, once they find out that I have HPV or once they find out I have HIV or once they find out I have herpes or whatever it may be, that they're not going to want you. And so you are predetermining rejection by rejecting yourself and stopping yourself from getting what you want. And by way of you doing that, you create a whole life that is filled with you never getting the love that you want. And then you feel sad that you don't have the love that you want, but it's because you have stopped yourself from being open to getting that love that you want. You see what I'm saying? So you, who you are, is what's the most important. Your health is also able to be managed, is able to be, I'll tell you this, I have a colleague who has been with her partner for, I want to say her oldest is 34. So, and this is her second marriage. So I want to say they they might have been together for about 30. No, her, her oldest daughter is older than that. Anyways, they've been together for over 30 years, is my point. And because of some decisions that she was making with her sexually acting out, uh, to cope with her emotions when she was younger and to cope with her trauma as she was younger. She was in relationships with multiple people who are also pretty unsafe. And so that was one of the things that she contracted before marrying her now husband. And uh, she, he has never in over 30 years ever had a herpes outbreak. We We hear all the time about how you're able to manage and work through the symptoms of that. And he doesn't take medication for it. I mean, I know that there are some people who do take medication to to help prevent that. You can get the life that you want and you do not have to label yourself second best and reject yourself because of someone else's mistakes. I'm gonna stop there because I feel like I'm about to, we're already almost in an hour and... I don't want to go too far down this topic, especially if I'm going to have another one and if I'm going to have some experts and some people who have been living with it come and talk about it. So hopefully that podcast episode happens in 2023 um, when I'm recording this one. But I want you to know that you're not the only woman who's dealing with this at all, at all. You're not the only woman who has given partners a lot of chances, even past what they may have wanted to, even past when it becomes emotionally and mentally and sexually and fiscally dangerous for yourself. And Sally, you won't be the last, but I want you to know that the people who understand will always hold space for you. And the people who don't, then those are not the people that we're going to talk to about this. But you are a treasure you are so loved. And my prayer is that you get the relationship in the moments that remind you of that, um, that make you feel that all the time. Okay. So I'm going to stop here. I really do hope that this emotional aftercare 
episode hits the spot for those who needed it. And if this is the first episode that you listened to and it's all you needed and you're like, I don't even know if I'm going to listen to the other one, then don't. (laughs) Then don't. Don't feel the need to. Always do what's best for you. Okay? All right. Well, as always, if, if what I've shared here, if the empathy that I've shared, if the breaking down of what I've shared has been helpful for you, and you want to work further on things together, I just dropped an episode, about two episodes back now, about how to best work with me. But I'm going to tell you one of the main ways right now is my recovery school coaching program and would love to have you. Uh, You can go to therecoveryschool.com to be taken directly to the overview page to read more about it. You can also listen to the How to Work Together episode to hear me talk about it a little bit more in full. Uh, the masterclass that's currently up, the free masterclass that's currently up, which I think I'm going to take down, actually, y'all. I think I'm going to take it down again. Um, I talk about how to uh, not have have a magnet for unavailable relationships. And in that, at the end of it, I break down the recovery school even more. Any of those places will give you an overview And so uh, to see if that is the right place for you. And we are building a community and several of the newest ladies are going through the no contact and healing process right now. So you would be in really great company. But again, that's therecoveryschool.com and we'd love to be your coach and support you. So that's it for now. I'm sending all of you so much love and I will see you in the next episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.